Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 130 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Good morning. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. A gooder morning. You guys are spoiling that we're recording this in the morning. <laughs> Could you tell by my hey that sounded like I had recently risen from the grave? <laughs> <laughs> guys, don't tell anyone, but we're recording this at 8.30 a.m., so. Oh, God. Hi, everybody. Happy fall. Today is one of the few rainy days in Los Angeles, which I love because I can put on a sweater and go under a blanket. I love those days. Yeah. How's life? How's spooky season for y'all? You know what? I'm glad you asked because I got something to say about this. (laughs) Oh, go off, Andrew. It's time for Andrew's spooky season spectacular. This hot take is about to burn yet. No, just I was about to say I'm kind of sad because I haven't really done anything spooky season yet. I haven't watched any scary movies. I got some pumpkins, but I haven't put out the Halloween decorations. Mm. So basically what I'm trying to say is spooky season's a bit of a failure at the old Andrew household. No, you're trying to say, Pejos, find your home address and scare you. That sounds like, you know, a clear message to me. Good luck. I'm in a hotel right now. Um, I've been, let's see, I started the Stephen King book, which Toby's reading. I finished it, yeah. But I won't tell you anything about what I think about it because no early spoilers. No spoilers, except we are recording this in the morning. And you probably have seen my Goodreads review of it, so you know exactly what I think of it. But, and that's spooky, I guess. No spoilers, (laughs) but like, it's a long book and I haven't gotten to the spooky parts yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. They're there. I'll get there. And then we watched, this is really sad news. We watched the adaptation of My Best Friend's Exorcism. Oh, yeah. On on Amazon. Is it it that good? It's so, Dylan, Dylan, (laughs) why don't you review it? It's amazingly bad. Yeah. It's the worst kind of bad in the fact it's boring. (laughs) And it just really sucks because like, I think, you know, with that cast and even with the script, they could have made a good movie, but they just didn't get the tone right. The direction was bad. And Mm. that's, and I'm going to stick to that. Well, I have some spooky shame. Mm. I bought, I bought Maggie a book called Goodnight Goon. (laughs) Goodnight Goon? Yes, it's a horror parody oh. of Goodnight Moon. Is it about Sean William Scott playing <laughs> hockey? It's about a ghoul trying to go to sleep. And so he looks around the room and sees all the spooky things around it. Maggie loves it. And it's like, look at this severed head. Oh, <laughs> oh that's adorable. That's not spooky, Shane. You've already read it. Yeah. I have real shame, yeah. but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Too bad. This is what we do. <laughs> Oh, well, I'll titillate our viewers just for a second and tell you my spooky season activities, which are exclusively movie related. Ooh. I've seen one really good spooky movie and one very mediocre one. And the really good one is Barbarian. Go see it. It's it, it, Hopefully you have a really high level of tolerance for gross stuff. But I really thoroughly, it's like my favorite movie I've seen in theaters in a while. And then uh, I saw the new Hellraiser that Hulu did and it was fine. And this is, you know, coming from a person who loves Clive Barker. That's good to know. I, we've been meaning to see Barbarian and just haven't done it so oh please do see it i would recommend i mean bring your strong stomach but do see it when i go to the movie theater i bring my popcorn stomach (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's why he's on the podcast folks um okay so moving on to a different topic um your shame oh uh, (laughs) i could say some more stuff about barbarian uh so the other day i walked past a little free library picked up two books i picked up Boyfriend Material, which is a queer love story, romance, excited for Mm -hmm. it. Great title. And then, Toby, I'm willing to have you convince me to put this one back. I picked up Faithful Place by Tana French. Is this a good Tana French or a not so good? 
I don't think I've read that one. Oh, darn. Um, it's relatively new, correct? I'm not sure, but I know it, it's in the Dublin Murder Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's very few. I think you read one of the only ones on the podcast that isn't in the Dublin <laughs> Murder Squad. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Either it's like so forgettable that I've forgotten about it entirely or I haven't read it. So, okay. I don't know. I don't want to dissuade you. I was really hoping you would dissuade me. <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, well, I really love Ton of French, so I'm not going to just out of nowhere tell you not to read it. <laughs> so it's just a bummer that you read like the only one on here that you, that I don't like. Yeah. OK, well, TBD. So that's my shame. Two books. Not nope. so bad. No, nope. three books. What's the third book? Laura Olympics. Oh, yeah. I got um, the third volume of Lore Olympus, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Graphic mm. novel about Hades and Persephone. The third one came out this week. I picked it up yesterday. Well, Maggie picked it up for me. Thank you, Maggie. And I haven't read it yet, but honestly, I'll probably read it tonight. So I'm not that ashamed about that one. You sent Maggie to a store by herself? Yeah, she's old enough. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like it's 1933. You give her a nickel, say, go to Chevalier's and give me a book. <laughs> A nickel. I wish. Yeah. Guys, I think that I should be allowed out of my cage for like 60 seconds to talk embroidery floss. Well, as long as you're coming out of your cage and you're feeling just fine. You gotta gotta be down with the embroidery floss. Start out with some floss. How did it end up like this? How did it end up like this? <laughs> People on Instagram are liking my post about the embroidery floss, and I just think you guys should put on a timer for like 60 seconds and let me talk about it fine, first. Fine. Okay. Tell me put when it, to go. Put it up timer. Okay, so I've been setting out on a quest to find all the DMC embroidery flosses. It's been really fun, except there's a lot that are discontinued, so they're hard to find. I finally found all of them, except for two. You can see a picture on Instagram of all of them. The two I haven't found. One is a variegated floss. It's called 1116. It's cyclamen pink. If you have it and you find it and you give it to me, I will let you pick my books for a year. The other one is called... Oh, wow. It's number 868. It's a a hazelnut brown. It's an ugly color. However, I I just want everyone to know that I don't think it really exists. How I found it is is that somebody made this really intense spreadsheet online and I found it and I couldn't find any other um, pictures of this floss, only this guy's spreadsheet. And then I thought, Wacom's razor, what's what's most likely? Maybe he messed it up. So I contacted the man who made the spreadsheet, but he insists that it's real. But he sent a picture, but the picture, there's other things on it that don't seem right. So I just don't think it's real and it's 868. So if anybody else has any information, please contact me at the end. You okay, Bill? <laughs> the dinger just went off. Yep. I'm feeling great. Everything's totally normal and fine. Bailey, truly, when you started speaking, I was like, there's no way she's going to, you know, a minute is longer than you think. But um, no, you really filled that minute. Guys, this has been engrossing my life and there's nobody I can talk about it with except for the guy that I contacted who I called a liar and now he won't interact with me anymore. Yeah. What's the deal? What is, What is like off in this picture? There's like, what? <laughs> I don't know. There's like a, I can't even think of one example of something that's wrong but like what what would be wrong in this picture that clues you into like you think he's faking it okay put another minute on the clock no basically my suspicion is that the one he says exists is 868 right however i haven't found any other records of it but what does exist is 898 if you flip it over that is a brown color so i think it's flipped over conspiracy know that meme of charlie from always sunny in philadelphia pointing at the board with like all the string and photos it's just me pointing at the string part yeah yeah <laughs> that was a good my joke <laughs> that's a good one so can we put you back in your cage now yeah i'm going back to my cage are you feeling i don't want you to feel fine anymore the bars are made out of embroidery floss i'll let you know bailey truly the bars of your cage are made of embroidery floss <laughs> <laughs> well bailey it sounds like you went on quite a journey there i did i went yeah. on a lot of journeys to michael's
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to cross some thresholds. Um, you had a, a wise mentor. I wish I did. Mysterious. Yeah. But then he betrayed you or and or died. You know, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Andrew, do you relate to this in any way? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I relate to it in that I read a book this week that deals with some similar themes. Ooh. What? I mean, don't all books deal with that theme, though? <laughs> yeah, when you look at it. I'm going to scream at you, Dylan. Um, <laughs> I can already tell you're going to be in, in fine form this episode. <laughs> <laughs> look, I finally get to use my film degree, okay? So don't take this away from me. <laughs> all right. Yes. So the book I read this week is The Hero with a Thousand Faces by one Joseph Campbell. Oh, face, face, face. Yes, a staple of college classrooms. If you're in the film program or a creative writing program, you may have found this book. And I think that's exactly how I came into possession of it. Not through a class of my own, but because Jillian had it for a class. And you thought, I should read that too. Well, as a scholar of story and structure and whatnot, I felt like it was good to know. And Pejo's, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) spoiler i think andrew like there's less of like a student of story and structure and more that you and bailey are both masochists and you enjoy doing things to yourself that like cause you pain but continue all right so yeah to divert a little bit let's remember what the core idea of this podcast is Let's take it way back. The core idea of this podcast was... You know, Andrew enjoyed a book when he's like rethinking the entire concept of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The core idea of the podcast was to read the books that we had but had never read in lieu of buying new books because... Mm-hmm. All of us, at the very least, I mean, Toby, to a lesser extent, but had a huge backlog, but continued to purchase books. So I, with open heart and brave soul, decided to take this challenge literally, including all of the books on the shelves that were, you know, maybe bought, not necessarily to read for pleasure, but bought for college that I either didn't read or like picked up in college from like those free stacks of books that were everywhere. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a brave and beautiful and splendid thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm rethinking my strategy in terms of my list now. And okay, I will go into the book in a minute. I am being extra harsh. It is not necessarily as bad as I am framing it, but it was a real, it was a real moment. A dark night of the soul, Mm. if you will. I will say, Andrew, that like, I agree with you. That was the premise of the podcast. However, when I made my original list and then later when, you know, I thought I had too many books on the list, I looked at everything and thought, do I really want to read this? Do I really want to have this on my shelf? And if I didn't, I got rid of it. And so you could have done that. You could have said, this book I got not to read, I don't have to read. Yeah, but it's Jillian's book. Yeah, it's Jillian's book. I can't get rid of it. Mm. Well, so the path to hell is paved with good intentions, Bailey. (laughs) Thank you for another brick along the way. (laughs) And we also know the white hot heat of Jillian's temper. We've all felt it. I mean, I know I have. Furious woman. Yes, she's deeply cruel. (laughs) (laughs) No, so let's talk about this book. And then maybe we'll double back because I don't actually have a lot to say about it because here's overall my review of it. Here's the logline of this book. I didn't write it down, but I'm going to come up with it off the cuff. (laughs) In his seminal 1949 work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell examines myths from across the world and history, religions and cultures to create a single monomyth with shared steps along the way that we can apply to all stories in the world. Right. So we've all seen like the cheat sheet of the different story beats that Joseph Campbell came up with. Yeah. Your call to action, your threshold guardian, Dark Night of the Soul, Dark Night of the Soul. Yes, we've we've probably all seen this. 
guess, I mean, maybe not everybody has, but you know, we're all at some point at least studied, um, studied creative writing or, or composition of some sort. And so it's been around. And so the book in itself, to give you a little more context about that, is about 300 pages where he walks you through sort of his vision of that monomyth and the hero's journey. And then a second part where he sort of just talks about like the theory of myths for a really long time. And I found it really hard to follow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hmm. He like talks about cosmology and stuff. Here is what the book has going for it. And I I know that Dylan, I think probably has the entire text of this book tattooed on his body somewhere because he loves it so much and wants to make out with it. (laughs) It's uh, inner left thigh, Andrew, inner left thigh. This is ironic because it is tattooed on your wife's body. Yes, it's true. There is a, Dylan has a rudimentary hero's journey diagram tattooed on her back. And so does your husband, but he has every word. Yeah, (laughs) I have the whole text of the book. And it's one of those ones where it's like some of the words are thicker than others. And it's Joseph Campbell's face when you look at it from a distance. It's uh, pretty scary, especially because it's on that inner thigh. I'm surprised that you did that, Dylan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So here's what the book has going for it to go into sort of an orcs and elves discussion of of the book. And Dylan, please throw in more context. Know that I will probably talk over you if I deem it unworthy. (laughs) Uh, What the book has going for it is, first of all, as someone who like grew up very interested in mythology and the different stories, like reading Delaria's book of Greek myths, reading Norse mythology books, things like that. It was really fascinating to see collected all of the different uh, stories together and seeing those commonalities was really a persuasive argument in terms of the sort of shared incidences pulling from cultures as varied as, you know, tiny islands in the Pacific that don't have a lot of exposure and but still had similar myths to, you know, more widely known things like the Greeks or that had a lot of contact with a lot of different people. So that was really interesting. Mm. I found out some very fascinating things about the beliefs of Jainism. That was a particular highlight. Mm. Um, their sort of theory of the world. Very interesting. Well done, Joseph. And that's, but that's sort of the only elf I have for it. And I don't mean that sort of in a glib way. But the thing that was interesting about this book was learning the cool mythologies. The theory behind it, good on Joseph Campbell for coming up with it and sort of solidifying it. But I don't know that you need to read this book to figure that out. I think the diagrams sort of suffice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, Dylan. Go off, Dylan. Come on. I feel bad because I knew this thing going in where I read The Hero of a Thousand Faces and I felt like Andrew was feeling. And I had to read also the follow-up, uh, The Hero's Journey. The Hero with Two Thousand Faces face off. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because in The Hero of a Thousand Faces, that back half, Andrew, you literally see a man like thinking like, I should write a book about this. I should like, you can see him figuring out. And then The Hero's Journey, his book is actually, is like so much cleaner. And like, this is my idea for it. So it's like take two. Yeah. In Hero of a Thousand Faces, it's like him slowly figuring out the book while he's writing another book. I was like, huh, that'd be an interesting book. Not this one though. No, this one is about Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung, and we'll talk about that in a second. You're literally seeing him just throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall, like, what about this theory and this theory and this theory? And then his follow-up book, it's so funny how much, like, cleaner it is. You realize, like, he put, he actually put some time and thought into, oh, this is what I was talking about in the earlier book. This is the spaghetti I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, the spaghetti throwing is a good analogy, and I don't want to diminish the work that went into it. Clearly, he researched the myths of, like, thousands of cultures and put together so much cool stuff, but it does feel a little bit like a meander and then you see the actual diagram of the hero's journey drawn out and you're like, oh yeah, that was easier to understand. All right, Dylan, go back in your cage. No. 
Yeah, I need I need you back in the cage for at least a few minutes. Um, and I've alluded to this a little bit, but like wrapped up on sort of what made me bristle at this book is it's so oddly reverent of Sigmund Freud, which like a lot of theories that have been disproved. And he's just like, yes, but Sigmund Freud got it all right. And we've all been waiting for this man <laughs> because he solved it all for us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, the book is, is dated and feels dated in terms of how he writes, in terms of, you know, casually throwing around odd descriptors of different races, which I don't think is meant in a, in a racist way. It's just indicative of how things were written about at that time. But, you know, if what you're trying to get out is that diagram of the hero's journey, you can get that without, you know, for example, the first sentence of the book, page one, whether we listen with aloof amusement to the dreamlike mumbo jumbo of some red-eyed witch doctor in the Congo. Um, oh, yikes. Yeah, that's literally the first sentence of the book. <laughs> so it's it's somehow already dismissive of, you know, African culture um, because, you know, with aloof amusement, uh, to a witch doctor. He's got to get that slam out. He's like, I got to get a slam in on the witch doctor's sentence one. That's the most important thing in this book. Joey, Joey, no. Joey, no. Yeah. So to avoid rambling on for days and days and weeks and weeks on my on my personal hero's journey through this book, <laughs> here's what I'll say. It's a book that I think if you read it in college, you enjoy it, read it in college. If you want to learn about story structure, find people who have built on the back of this and, and, and read from there. Or just read The Hero's Journey. All right. I get that you want to make out with the book, The Hero's Journey. I'm saying that there's probably also books written after that, which contain nope. a bunch of different theories here, which are probably Freud, even Campbell better. Campbell figured it out. <laughs> Dylan just regrets that he got at The Hero with a Thousand Faces as that tattoo. And then, you know, it's too late when he read, you know, The Hero's Journey. He should have known when the tattooist started with the word mumbo jumbo that they should oh, no. stop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm not really interested in trashing this book because it's not actually, despite me mainly talking about it in a negative way, the thing I'm feeling negative about is the fact that a lot of my books on my shelf right now, I feel like I'm going to have a similar reaction to. It's like, mm. why do I have this textbook from college that I'm going to end up having to read and release to the world? Andrew, you can get rid of them. We support I don't you. know. I feel like I have dug my heels in now. Mm. We'll see. I'll, I'll take a I guess. I'll take a deep look at myself in the mirror and then a deep look at my at my Goodreads list and see what I feel. But hard to say. Andrew, do it for the pages because, you know, real talk. It's like, it's fun to hear us to dislike a book every once in a while, but you know, if you, if you get this like, crazy academic text chosen and it's like, I, I think I'm going to dislike this. It's like, oh yeah, well, you know. Well, the Pedros will get what they get and they won't get upset. <laughs> <laughs> but no, okay. So let me put a button on this. I want to hear a little bit about this guy's life. Despite my criticisms, it was a well-written, interesting book. It just isn't what I want to spend my brief time on this earth reading. Yeah, for sure. So that's the lesson to take forward. Please visit this book if it's, uh, if it's interesting to you or if you want to learn a little bit more about myths. But I also think that there's just better ways to get both your story structure and your like distillation of myths in other forms. After we read this book for class, we read both of these books for class and everything. They then showed us there's a very famous um, memo that was written in the Disney story department. It's basically the guy that realized, hey, this Joseph Campbell hero structure also works really well for movies. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a nine page memo and it basically encapsulates everything he's trying to say. This reminds me, okay, I do want to hear Andrew Starr's, but I am enjoying that we're all interrupting him a lot and it's part of his hero's journey. I do just want to say this reminds me of something that like a college professor would assign have they read the entire book maybe years ago, but not recently. Yeah. And it's more like they know like the most important parts. It reminds me of when I was in film school and I had to watch The Jazz Singer like in three different courses because it was the <laughs> first film to include sound 
around, um, but it's very boring. And at one point I was like, okay, I'm going to duck out. I've already seen it. And the professor who knew me from the previous class that we'd watched it in was like, Bailey, will you stay and bring the DVD up to my office when it's done? And I'm like, no, but the professor left. Wow. My point is there's some things <laughs> that you feel like you need to read because they're part of like the world's syllabus. But do you really need to read every word? Maybe not. I'm going back to my cage. But Bailey, don't you need to read it because Jesse Klein told you to read it? I, I can get all the information from Jesse Klein, like Andrew said. That might have been the better way. So, all right, to be kind and a good human being for a second to a man who is dead. Um, Joseph Campbell wrote a very important book that has influenced a lot of things. I will give it three stars. Mm. Um, yep. Though realistically, I feel like this is a book that in on my personal Goodreads, this is what I've done. I, I would log without stars because it's more like reading an article, <laughs> a really long article mm -hmm. uh, that really loves Sigmund Freud and uses the term oriental a lot. <laughs> Oh, I'd say I'd give it two stars. Yeah, I'm going to go with three just because I do think it it wasn't awful. And I did read it quickly. It's just I left with an experience that I haven't had since college of being like, OK. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, three stars for me. I think I'm out of my dark night of the soul. I look forward to hearing some facts about Joey C and the Funky Bunch. And um, <laughs> I'm going to take a hard look at my Goodreads. I hope to God that Dylan has already done the choosing and it is not something terrifying. Uh Oh, no. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. This is an anatomy melancholy. I might flip a table. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that review, Andrew. I think I would agree were I to read this book. Toby, do you have any facts on Joey C? Yes, I do. I have quite a few facts. He's led an interesting life. Surprise, surprise. So good old Joey Campbell was born in White Plains, New York in uh, March of 1904. Um, he was the elder son of a hosiery importer and wholesaler, Charles William Campbell, and his wife, Josephine. When he was a kid, he moved with his family to New Rochelle, New York. Um, and in 1919, a fire destroyed the family home um, and it killed his maternal grandmother and injured his father who tried to save her in the fire. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. He attended Columbia University. Um, and he got a Bachelor of Arts degree in English Literature in 1925, and then a Master of the Arts in Medieval Literature in 1927. Nice. He was a pretty uh, accomplished athlete. Um, he got a lot of awards for track and field. And for a brief time, he was among the fastest half-mile runners in the world. That's but, right. I mean, Whoa. these are like the times when they're like running, I don't know, in like their dress in shoes and smoking sweaters. cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not to throw shade on you, Mr. Campbell. So when he was in 1924, kind of near the end of his uh, first college years, he traveled to Europe with his family. Um, and on the ship, um, on the return trip, uh, he encountered the Messiah-elect of the Theosophical Society, Jiddu Krishnamurti. And they discussed Indian philosophy, and it was one of the many experiences in Campbell's life where his interest in other religions and other types of thought was sparked. Was he the old mentor in this situation? So you're saying he returned from the journey changed? <laughs> I guess. I mean, he met this guy once on a boat, so I don't know if he counts as a mentor. Um, then the Great Depression happened. There's just so many details in Campbell's life that like forcibly remind you how old this guy is. So yeah, then, then the Great Depression happened. Um, and the data we have here is that it's he spent the next five years living in a rented shack in Woodstock, New York. <gasps> what? Andrew. Where? Yeah. It's in your backyard. A, a rented shack. Don't. Isn't it the shack? You know, the shack that people rent? Well, we do have a shack in our backyard, but it, it's a modern shed. What if? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is where he began a kind of ritual or habit that would continue more or less throughout the rest of his life, where he did rigorous and intensive independent study, which is what he called it, independent study. He said that he would divide the day into four three-hour periods, and he would read for three out of four 
of the periods and be free for one of them. So he would get nine hours of reading done a day. And this went on, you know, this went on 100% for five years. That's a good system. I would love to see him get his numbers up a little bit. He's only using 12 of his hours of the day, but that's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So he traveled to California um, kind of when they, after this period, he continued his independent studies. That's right. Um, and he ended up being a good friend of John Steinbeck and his wife, Carol, before Steinbeck was famous. Mm. Campbell knew Carol, uh, John Steinbeck's wife, through his uh, through her sister. And actually, they got to know each other very well. Campbell had an affair with Carol. Um, <gasps> oh. This is 100% confirmed. Um, and then Steinbeck said, hey, please leave. And so he left. Ooh, drama. Whoa. Okay. That did yeah. not make it into the hero's journey. <laughs> yeah, stra- strangely, huh? Um, he continued his independent reading, you know, going on and on and on. He tried to publish some works of fiction. He published a few, you know, short stories here and there, but nothing really took off ever. Uh, finally, in 1934, he accepted a position as professor of literature at Sarah Lawrence College. Um, and in 1938, he married one of his former students, uh, who was a dancer choreographer, Jean Erdman. Hmm. Um, So he teaches there for like the next 30 something years. He really sticks around at Sarah Lawrence. In 1955, he took a sabbatical and traveled for the first time to Asia. He spent six months in Southern Asia, mostly India, and another six months in East Asia in Japan. Uh, This year had a really big influence on his thinking about Asian religion and myth, and also felt the necessity of teaching comparative mythology to a larger non-academic audience. However, this is already past the publication of The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which was in the late 40s. So about the writing of this book, this was based on his introductory class on mythology that he taught at Sarah Lawrence. Um, his class was called How to Read a Myth, and that was the original name of the book. It was published in 1949. It was his first big publication. It was his first big book that he published, um, and it was a huge hit immediately. He died um, in October 1987. Um, before his death, he completed a series of interviews with Bill Moyers that had aired the following spring as The Power of Myth, and they're very influential. They brought his um, theories and personality to an even wider audience. That's the other way, instead of reading it, if you just also, they're all on YouTube, you just watch those videos. Um, so he has this uh, kind of as like a final interesting thing. Um, he has an identifiable saying that he put out into the world called, follow your bliss. Um, And he says he derived this idea from the Upanishads. And here's a quote about it. He says, now I came to this idea of bliss because in Sanskrit, which is the great spiritual language of the world, there are three terms that represent the brink, the jumping off place to the ocean of transcendence. The word sat chit anada. The word sat means being, chit means consciousness, anada means bliss or rapture. I thought, I don't know whether my consciousness is proper consciousness or not. I don't know whether what I know of my being is my proper being or not, but I do know where my rapture is. So let me hang on to that rapture and that will bring me both my consciousness and my being. I think it worked. Um, Toby, can you also share the origin of his other famous quote, live, laugh, love? Um, that was he had like a lot of wine with um, his girlfriends one night. Oh, great. Um, he, so he this was like a thing that he threw out there, especially on the power of myth um, and that how it got disseminated. And people were kind of, you know, enjoying saying it and living by it. Um, but there's a funny little thing that he said when he was older, uh, because some students took this follow your bliss thing to mean, you know, get messed up as much as you want and be hedonistic. Campbell is reported to have grumbled. I should have said, follow your blisters. <laughs> Okay. So 
That makes little sense. And those are my facts about Joseph Campbell. And then he just turned to camera and said, it's one o'clock somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I remember like the end of his life, he had a lot of famous like filmmakers and writers coming up to him and saying, it's like, oh my God, your book changed my life. It's like, oh, that's so cool. And it's like, it might've also gotten tired at some point. Like there's a famous story that um, George Lucas like was a huge fan of him. Obviously Star Wars follows Mm -hmm. the hero's journey a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he invited Joseph Campbell and his wife to come out to Lucas Farm or Lucas Ranch. And he showed them all three Star Wars movies back to back. And were they like, I need to go. Well, I mean, I'm glad he at least because not every academic gets that to see like their how their work impacted it to society. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I'm just imagining the moment where he's already played the second one after the first one. He pulls out the third VHS <laughs> and is like, "And we're gonna keep going." Do you think he, he kept asking? Him, but do you get it? No, no, I, I got it. And then George Lucas left the room and was like, can you bring that VHS to my office when you're done? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Toby. Those are great facts. I do, you know, Mm. I feel bad for making fun of Joey C, but he seemed like he followed his bliss and had a good life. Oh, gentle roasting, I think, is what we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow roast. So that is The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Three stars. Three stars. Uh, well, we heard uh, how well Andrew enjoys the flavor of old scholarship on mythology. Do you have a taste for anything else, Bailey? Ooh, I have a taste for death. Yum, yum. <gasps> oh, wow. Yum, yum. <laughs> chomp, chomp. I read a book this week called A Taste for Death by P.D. James. Before I start my review, mm. I need to describe just something I found in the physical copy of this book. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Um, this is, I don't I leave th- something in it? Well, because this, again, Toby gave this book to me as a gift. Not in like a, this is your big birthday gift, but like a, oh, I finished this. You might like it sort of situation. And uh-huh. I don't think this was you, Toby, but someone with very precise cursive on the first page wrote <clears throat> a taste of death a taste for death a taste of death a taste for death a taste of death a taste for death why you take a picture of it and put it on the Instagram uh, yeah. I, I think I will but it's like it's like she couldn't decide what the title is but it's right over where it says a taste for death so I don't understand that's so bizarre it looks like the shining but done by like a uh, second grade cursive lesson yeah who knows I definitely bought this at a secondhand bookstore so uh yeah I'm worried about that person so with that and with the very creepy cover which is like black and red taste for death really all caps big I was like this is gonna be a creepy Mm -hmm. book perfect for spooky season Mm. i don't think that's entirely accurate but so that's just my impressions going in i want to say that i'm feeling weird because this was a gift from toby and toby did give it five stars so i feel a little bad with any orcs on the book toby can you make me feel better hold on i gave it five stars (laughs) you gave it five stars on goodreads that has to be wrong That has to be straight up wrong. Wait, I'm literally logging into my Goodreads to to check. (laughs) Because I... This is a new theme of the podcast, Toby not remembering what he rated books on Goodreads. (laughs) Um, Honestly, that must have been an error. Like, maybe I pressed the wrong button because I was worried. First of all, I did not give this to you as a gift. I was getting rid of a bunch of books. And I was like, do you want any of these? Right, right, right. right. I would never give anyone this book as a gift. I didn't really enjoy it. (laughs) I... (laughs) 
I think she is conservative to a degree that is annoying to read. And this is like a lesser work and she has better ones out there, including Children of Men. So there's my short review. Toby, I spent this, I kept being like, oh no, Toby's going to be mad that I didn't love it. Uh. No, I was, when when it was picked for the, on the choosing, I was like, oh man, I'm going to be the source of this like bummer of a book. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, okay. I, well, I, I seriously think it's an it's an error on my Goodreads. So, well, that's good because on my notes at the end, I wrote, "Give Toby a chance to explain why this is five stars." So <laughs> I don't have to do that part. <laughs> Looks like I've already done that. So, um, the PD James um, is known for writing detective stories. In subtitle is an Adam Dalgleish mystery, and he is like the inspector, police guy, detective. And as Toby mentioned, she also wrote Children of Men, but I think she's mostly known for these detective procedurals. Um, and she's thought of as like kind of like an Agatha Christie type. Do I think she's as good as Agatha Christie? No. Uh oh. Can she even surf? Oh. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> the concept of this one, A Taste for Death, is that there is a murder in a vestry of a church. A baronet, whose name is Paul Barone, is found with his throat slit, excuse the um, graphic nature, um, and Another man next to him has been killed. This person we would probably call an unhoused person now, but this book calls him a vagrant. So it's this baronet and the quote vagrant that have been murdered. At first, it looks like a textbook murder-suicide, but then Adam Dalgleish thinks, no, it's probably murder all around. So that's the concept. And the book follows, in the every sense of the word, it's a procedural of Dalgleish and two of the other members of his team investigating this murder, interviewing all the potential suspects, checking their alibi. Checking the alibis again. Checking the alibis maybe another time. And there's no like creepy underground cult or anything. It was it's just finding finding the evidence, finding the smoking gun, as it were, to who the person is, mm-hmm. then getting enough evidence to prove it's that person, and then the person, of course, you know, confessing at the end. <laughs> Can you tell I love this book? <laughs> You sound like Adam Deglish has a gun to your head. It's making you recite the facts of this book. I know. So I'm just going to go in and say, first of all, and this is what I was thinking as I was reading it, like Toby just must really love uh, police procedurals and it's just not so much my genre. But obviously that wasn't the case. But the idea, like, I can watch this on TV. Do I want to read like 450 pages of it? Probably not. Yeah. It's really long. And like I said, the checking and the rechecking of the alibis, like the beginning is slow to start. The middle is excruciating, but the end starts to pick up. But by that point, you're just like looking at the page numbers. So I'll just say some of the things aside from the structure that I think make it slow. Um, P.D. James, I was reading an article that said like she hates all of her characters. I don't know that that's Uh. true, but like the characters, there's not very many that are sympathetic. Um, And she portrays them in this really detailed way. She describes what they look like and often they sound kind of grotesque. And there's this kind of upstairs, downstairs dynamic where like definitely there's criticism of the upper class and how they treat the lower class. But, you know, there isn't much redemption on either side. There's also a lot of descriptions just of the setting of the furniture, a lot of long paragraphs. So I'm just going to give you a quote to give that sense. Um, So this is, they have met the driver. um, And so they're describing what he looks like, the driver of the um, mother of the murdered man. 
As they came up to him, Daglish saw that he was both older and shorter than he had expected, surely not just the statutory height for a soldier, but broad-shouldered and giving an immediate impression of disciplined strength. He was very dark, almost swarthy, and the straight hair, longer than it would have been in his army days, fell across his forehead, almost touching eyebrows straight as black gashes above his deep-set eyes. His nose was short, with slightly fared nostrils, the mouth uncompromising above a square chin. He was wearing well-cut fawn slacks and a woolen check shirt, open-necked, and gave no sign of tiredness, seeming as fresh as if the were a morning visit. He looked at them with keen but untroubled eyes, eyes that have seen worse things than a couple of CID officers arriving in the night. It's just like, do we really need all this description of this random character? I was hoping that like at some point he just randomly answered saying just like, and his slacks, I was also carrying a bloody knife and also this, 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 this. <laughs> I wish, but it's more like, let's talk more about all of the details of everything he's wearing. What shape were the toes of his shoes? I must know. So that can get pretty cumbersome. Another thing that I don't love about this kind of book is how like all of the characters, I think, have the perspective or the education of the author in that like a lot of them can, yeah. we've talked about this before, but they're like, oh, that is concerto C minor of blah, 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 blah. Or, oh, that's obviously a reference from Shakespeare's Love's Labor's Lost. And it's like, guys, not everybody knows this. Not everybody can know a Byron quote on the top of their head. Everyone in England knows every Byron quote. Okay, you're right. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm married to a British person. She's quoting Byron, you know, (laughs) 7.52 in the morning. It's rough. Another thing that I found annoying about, like, the only thing really that, well, not the only thing, but one of the big distinguishing characteristics of Adam Dalglish is he's also a poet and they, they're always talking about his poetry and like when is your next poem going to come out and I'm like I don't care <laughs> so okay I will just say that I learned something about myself when I was reading this book which is that I like crime books I love true crime I can do police procedural but there's got to be some twisted stuff in it you gotta give me with a cult like something really creepy a lot of twists not just like these are the five suspects and it's one of them like I need I need something more in order to really like a, um, a book in this vein. So all this to say, I'm going to give it three stars. It might be more like a two, but I'm going to really? give it three in that like, it's fine. You know, like if you like this kind of book, maybe you'll really like it. It feels dated and overly long, but sure. My review is sure. Just not your taste. Just not my taste. I don't have a taste <laughs> for death. So yeah. So yeah. Well, do, would you agree with that, Toby, now that I know that you're actually on my side? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I mean, with the passage of time, my memory of this book has soured even more. I I have read Children of Men, which I enjoyed a lot more than this. It is very different than the movie. But this, I think the thing that really made me dislike this book is her deep conservatism without, yeah. you know, and without going um, too much into my own beliefs. It really was counter to the things that I believe. And she is crazily judgmental of some of the people in this book. Like, in a way that feels super cruel and and just her life was not easy. She comes from a, an intense background, as you'll soon learn, but it does not seem to have made her very sympathetic. Instead, it makes her kind of cold. Yes. Um, and that kind of like, yeah, that like cynicism and just kind of nastiness about everybody is so hard to read when it's unending. It actually kind of reminded me, weirdly, of a book I didn't finish, which was The Casual Vacancy. Mm-hmm. That kind mm-hmm. of like, everything is grim. 
everyone is awful. Everything is depressing. No one is redeemable. And you're just like, why? Why am I doing this to myself? So I'm sure that there are some P.D. James enthusiasts out there that I don't think anyone says this is the best Adam Deglish novel. But uh, as an example of her writing, I think it is actually pretty typical and I didn't enjoy it. So how many stars would you actually give it, would you say? I mean, now I'm reaching back. I read this probably like six years ago, but probably two stars, you okay. know, in the kind of faint memory. Yeah. I, I I had a bad reaction when it was chosen for you. I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to give anything away, but I was like, oh, no. That's so funny. I just saw that five stars and I was like, oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I might have even counseled you not to take it <laughs> when you took it, I think. <laughs> But all right. Well, there you go. Um, do you do you have any facts on Miss P.D. James? I'm sure she's a lovely, very happy person. Um, I, I do have some facts. She, too. Two people with some super interesting lives. So uh, she also coined the term live, laugh, love and had sex with John Steinbeck's wife. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. So, P.D. James, um, all of this is from our good old friend Wikipedia, and it's also from an article from the Daily Mail. I know, I know, but it's actually a pretty good article, and it makes a lot of sense that the Daily Mail would cover her because she's super conservative, and the author of the Daily Mail article is A.N. Wilson. So, Phyllis Dorothy James, Baroness James of Holland Park, O-B-E-F-R-S-A-F-R-S-L, was born in August of 1920. It's a lot of acronyms. Yes. She was a peer, among many other things. And yeah, you know, basically her big, big claim to fame is the series, the Adam Daglish series. Uh, she was born in Oxford. She was a daughter of Sidney Victor James, who was a tax inspector, um, and his wife, Dorothy Mary James. She was educated at the British School in Ludlow and in Cambridge High School for Girls. Um, Her life got dark super, super fast. Uh, Her mother was committed to a mental hospital when she was in her mid-teens, and she was left alone at home with her father, who was apparently a horrible, super cold man who never ever in his life ate a meal with his family, preferring, as she said, to eat alone off a tray in his room. That's dark. Yeah, it gets even grimmer. Um, When she was 10, she saw her first dead body, a little boy who had been fished out of the local river in her hometown of Ludlow, Shropshire. You say first there, which is is worrying. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, I don't have any specifics about her later in her life, but she did kind of work alongside law enforcement for a lot of her life and do a lot of kind of ride alongs as we would turn them in, you know, modern times. But she was worked closely with police. So I'm sure she saw a lot of dead bodies later in life. Not that she was a serial killer that we know of. That's a different (laughs) podcast. So. As a young woman, uh, Phyllis, as her first name is, learned to kind of keep herself ultra contained. In later years, she said she was proud of her emotional resilience and she found the modern day tendency of hugging and therapy, quote, creepy. I don't like hugs either, but I like therapy, so. She she um, she ended up being kind of the housekeeper and the home runner for her father and her younger brother and sister. Uh, at the age of 16, she left school and worked in Inland Revenue to please her father. Um, she could not hack it there. She only worked there for a year because it was so boring. She took a bo- job in the box office of the Cambridge Festival Theater, and she met Connor White, who was a medical student, and they got married um, when she was 21. They did have three short, happy years together, and then things got grim again. He was sent out to India to serve in the Royal Army Medical Corps. He returned after several years, and he had a complete mental health breakdown. He, uh, along with her mother when she was younger, he was also committed. 
she had two children uh, with him and she had to move uh, her family to his parents because they were ultra poor. Um, she was working as an NHS filing clerk during these years. Um, and in the evening, she took a diploma in hospital management. So she was raising kids, working full time and studying. It's a lot. Yes. Um, eventually, she found time to write stories, which is something she'd always want to do. Her role model was Agatha Christie, of course, who for much of her career, early career, worked as a pharmacist. And so P.D. James has said that that kind of inspired her to say, you know, you can write books while you're working full time. Um, and Dorothy L. Sayers, um, who is another noir uh, author. Uh, so she always wanted to write proper novels. Um, the first attempt took her six years to complete because she only had the ability to write for two hours before she left for work every morning. Mm. Um, it was titled Cover Her Face, and it was published by Faber in 1962. She went back and forth on her pen name, um, but she actually you know, chose the initials P.D. James for the same reason J.K. Rowling did, uh, so that people would assume she was a man. It really worked because there was an early review that said, quote, I hope that Mr. James will give us many more such treats. <laughs> treats. <laughs> Things get really grim now. Um, in 1964, uh, she came downstairs on her 23rd wedding anniversary to find her husband was dead. Uh, he had been on a home visit from the mental hospital. There's not a lot of explicit coverage on how he died, but uh, drugs and alcohol were involved. And yeah, she did not ever really speak publicly about it, but it's incredibly sad. Yeah. She was extremely successful, like very, very successful with her literary work, um, but she literally never gave up her day job. Um, she took the competitive civil service exam to become a principal in the forensic science department of the home office. She moved on to work with uh, juvenile offenders. She was made a peer in February 1991 as the Baroness James of Holland Park. Um, she sat in the House of Lords as a conservative. Hmm. Her novel, The Children of Men, 1992, uh, was the basis of the 2006 movie of the same name by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, it's a good movie. Uh, there was substantial changes between the book and the movie, but James said she was very pleased with the adaptation and proud to be associated with the film. Okay. There is a final little quote here about, uh, you know, late in her life. Uh, she said, it's a different world now. When I was young, our house was lit by gas. No telephone, no car. A Victorian child could have moved in with us and felt at home. Life today for a young person is all about computers and being in constant communication with blogs and tweets and so on. Not that that makes them any the wiser. It's very hard to gaslight people now because there's no gaslights. <laughs> Uh, she passed away uh, in November 2014 when she was 94 years old. And she has quite the legacy. And that is P.D. James. Rad. Oh, I did see, Toby, I don't know if you found anything on this, that there was, and it might have just been in England, but a miniseries called like Dalgleish that followed mm -hmm. some of some of these books. Yes, very successful. I think it was made by the uh, BBC and it was uh, super duper successful in England, maybe not so much uh, overseas. Gotcha. Yeah, one of those classic things like Miss Marple or, or uh, like Death in Paradise ran for quite a long time. Good to know. Okay, well... P.D. James, Toby and I agree. We're sorry. I'm not sorry. A Taste for Death by P.D. James, three stars. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dylan, I heard that you have a taste for being the game master this week. I've just gotten a taste for it. Call to action. It's my call to action with my game called A Hero of a Thousand Structures. Ooh. Oh, God. Oh, okay. I'm excited and scared. Hopefully you guys all studied for this pop quiz. Uh. Mm, well, 
Well, Andrew did, certainly. Well, I, I could not tell you a lot about the book I just read. <laughs> so, as you know, Joseph Campbell did his structures, but so did a lot of other people who followed Joseph Campbell afterwards. Okay. And have a bunch of different structures, theories on how stories should be. Okay. So I chose a few of them. Mm-hmm. Some of these aren't real. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this in uh, three rounds of three, but you'll have a choice. Either you can just say it's real or it's not real, or you can do two steps forward, one step back, where if it's real and you say that, you have to tell me what it is. And if you're close enough, I'll give it to you. You'll get two points instead of one. Mm-hmm. However, if you get it wrong, you lose a point. And you can go into negative points here. Okay. Risk. Mm. So for the first one, we're going to be doing structures with authors' names in them. All right. So, Toby. Oh. You have Freytag's Pyramid. Is it real or not? Could you say that first word again? Freytag's Pyramid. Freytag's? Like the author Gustav Freytag. Um, I think this is real, only based on the name Freytag or Freytag. And are you going to double or nothing in it? Certainly not. (laughs) (laughs) It is real. Mm. All right. It's the uh, dramatic arc. It's in five parts. You've seen this triangle before. It's like exposition, rising action, climax, yada, yada, yada. Carbs are at the bottom. Do not tell me what I've seen, Dylan. (laughs) Well, Andrew, have you seen Dickens' Ladder? Dickens' Ladder. Hmm. (laughs) No, I think this is fake. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Well, do you want to double or nothing it? How do I nothing it if I think it's fake? If you double or nothing it, do you just get the two points? If it is real, then I'm going to ask you to define Dickens' ladder. All right. Well, no, I think it's fake, and why not go for two points? It's fake. Yay! Yes, two oh. points. Eat it, Toby. You're in second place now, dork. No. <laughs> wow. Andrew doesn't get to play games that often, and when he does, he comes hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he really comes to play. Uh, and Bailey. Yes. You have Kuntz's structure. No, that's not real. Kuntz's structure? Kuntz. I, I, I object to the stupidity of these fake ones. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let's let's hear the boy out. Dean Kuntz did not write a book on story structure. And if he did, it wouldn't be called Kuntz's structure. Wait, let's hear the boy out. Double or nothing. It's real. No! Yes, you have to follow. Yes, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. You have to, and actually, it's called Kuntz's classic structure. I actually took out the classic because that was too much. Is it Dean Kuntz? Oh. It's Dean Kuntz. No. You have to plunge your main wow. character into terrible trouble as soon as possible. And it basically just goes into like the negative path a character has to take. Well, I'm negative one right now. Uh, Dean Kuntz. Well, uh, I'm certainly glad I wasn't guessing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's my turn again. Here we go. All right. These are different types of like story shapes or images okay all right toby Mm -hmm. a disturbance and two doorways a disturbance and two doorways that seems fake to me and i won't double down it is real Ooh. okay narrowly avoided disaster on that one the way it works is that there's a disturbance earlier on for hero passes through the first doorway to see what's going on and doorway two is the final doorway oh it's the final battle it's basically a a weird way of just saying three act structure okay yeah okay. okay okay andrew you have the Fichtean curve. The Fichtean curve. I'm going to say it is real, but I'm not doubling down because I don't know. It is real. Nice. It's basically a way of uh, ratcheting up tension. If you had said it starts off media res, like in the middle of action, uh-huh. I would have given that to you. See, I wouldn't have said that because I'm not a horrible dork. <laughs> <laughs> you could have mentioned that was developed by Joseph Gardner. I don't. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> All right, Bailey, you have the Kuntz doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> and Bailey with negative one. Rude. <laughs> you have the wave against the rocks. Wave against the rocks. 
Well, the last two were real, so I'm going to say it's not real, but I'm not going to double down. It's not real. Yes. Oh. I'm at zero. That sounds like it could be real, though, Dylan. Good one. Yeah, it's a good one. And because I hate myself, uh, the last one is story theories based on foreign words. Okay, great. Toby, you have the Reichen journey. Reichen, the German. How do you spell it? R-E-I-S-S-E-N journey. Reichen journey. Hmm. Well, that might mean like the kingdom journey, right? I'm going to say it's real. I'm going to double down because I have to. And I'm going to say, oh, it's something about ascending tiers of people, like meeting like higher and higher tiers of people. Like you start at a common man and then you work your way up to a king. But that is literally a desperate plea for two points so that I can be even with Andrew. Well, you know what? It could be the Rising Journey because it's fake. Oh, I tried so hard and I got so far. got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. (laughs) Is there there anything worse than having Andrew gloat in Linkin Park to you on an early Saturday morning? Oh, I thought he was (laughs) quoting Joseph Campbell. (laughs) Well, you know, Andrew could get negative. You never know. That is true. If Andrew just randomly decides to double down on it, he could lose. Well, I could double, but even then. Andrew, you have Oneric Theory. O-N-E-I-R-I-C. Well, I truly have no idea what language that comes from and no clue as to what it is, though I will uh, not (laughs) double down to guarantee my win, but call it real. It is real. Mm. It's um, using uh, dreams in story structure, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's Greek. I don't know. There was no way I was going to guess that that was that was. I feel like I've played my game well and left y'all in my dust. Bailey, want to get consolation? Yeah. Points. <laughs> Bailey, you have to guess what this is. Okay, I will. Um, Bailey, you have the Russian words fabula and the shutzet structure. I think you made this up. I think you Googled like the Russian words for story and fable. It's fake. It's real. Oh, uh, okay. But it's basically starting off in the middle of the story and then we flash back. Oh, yeah. Cut two, six months earlier. You might wonder how I got here. Yeah, basically that's what it is. Record scratch. I've got to tell you my tale. (laughs) (laughs) And Andrew is officially the hero of a thousand structures. Good job, Andrew. Y'all can't see, but I'm flipping tables and popping champagne over here. Uh, Andrew, you know, good good game. Good job. You don't usually get to play and and you came to play. Yeah. And he returns with learned knowledge. Yeah, you go. Okay. Well, I'm sad to say that, Dylan, you can stay out of your cage. Because it's time for you to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. Before we, before, you stay in your cage for just a second. Uh, like, stand at the doorway. Stand at the cage. On the precipice of adventure. So we, obviously, this is episode 99. Good job, guys. Next episode is episode 100. I don't know if that's scientifically proven, but yeah. So we decided to open up the choosing to our pages. Um, and sadly, this is just the people that happened to be on Instagram at certain days last week. The idea being, I have some books on my shelf that are kind of favorites, heavy hitters, and we would let the pages vote on them. Also because our text chain, when we were trying to figure out which one, was getting very heated and we could not decide. So we left it up to you. That's an exhausting exchange. <laughs> Um, we have to say we had people vote between the clan of the cave bear, which is a romance about Neanderthal people. We had the devil in the white city, Eric Larson, classic dad book, friend of the podcast. And then we had Anne of Green Gables, classic children's book. 
And, you know, it got pretty split. At first, the vote was 30% here, 30% here, and 30% here. But ultimately, it came down to a race between Eric Larson and Ellen Montgomery, with Anne of Green Gables winning with, I think it was, 46% of the vote. So, mm, nice. I voted for Devil in the White City. I voted for Devil in the White City. Pour one out for Clan of the Cave Bear. I really wanted to do Clan of the Cave Bear. So none of us really want to do this, but I'm just kidding. And, no, to be clear, like those other books, Devil in the White City and Clan of the Cave Bear, are still on my list. So they can be chosen later, and they mm-hmm. might even be chosen soon. Who knows? I'm not in charge. Dylan is. Am I in charge? <laughs> <laughs> but Anne of Green Gables will be our 100th episode, and everybody's going to read it dylan you have to read it too yeah yeah i joke i am i am excited to read this i think it'll be yeah, fun me too. i think it'll be a fun hundredth episode i think it'll be good yeah it's you know a classic that most a lot of people have read that we haven't and toby has no idea what it is toby why don't you say what your theory is right again what, what do you think it's about i think i said it was about a small english girl in her garden yep that okay was my, that was my so guess. that'll be on record i still feel confident about that guess i don't obviously know everything but i know it doesn't take place in england so Ooh. oh what <laughs> no so yeah so that will be next episode but now dylan you can officially come out of your cage you can pick andrew's book if this is the greengrocer and his television one of the other textbooks on my list <laughs> guys you just can't keep me locked up in a cage okay i'm a person all right okay. i'm not just like an animal i'm not just like a beast with no nation oh andrew you have Ooh. number five beasts of no nation by uzodima iwele all right cool i'm no i'm excited to read this one um it's very short which is good i, I saw the movie just it's real quick good. andrew what is it about I believe it's about child soldiers in in Africa. Okay. An English girl in her garden. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it was made into a movie starring Andres Elba a few years ago. One of Netflix's first feature releases, as I recall. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Okay, so in two weeks, it's episode 100, Anne of Green Gables Spectacular. Spooktacular. Spooktacular, I'm so sorry. Then it will be Toby's Week, so he's reading against Fairy Tale by Stephen King, and then it will be Andrew Beast of No Nation. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. If you have a friend with uh, black hair longer than he wore it in the military, that's like a vertical slashes on his forehead and square-toed shoes tell him about our podcast the best of advertisement is word of mouth and i want that guy listening i want that guy as a pedo tell your friends it really helps spread the word about the podcast and we really appreciate it thanks to toby and andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me to dylan for sound recording and to miss jillian beth durkee for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading books books books, books. books.